All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome to the Daily Face Off Show, your everyday source for the latest news with top notch insight and analysis. Here's your host, Frank Saravalli. Welcome to the Daily Face Off Show. Today is Thursday, October 28th. He's Mike McKenna, former NHL goaltender, now Daily Face Off NHL analyst. Mike, it's been a heavy week for everyone in the hockey community. How are you holding up? A lot of emotion, you know, and I think, frankly, there's some guilt associated with, I think, for everybody that's been involved with hockey thinking, what could we have done to make things better? How did we get off the rails to the point that something like this could happen that we're going to talk about with uh, the Chicago Blackhawks and Kyle Beach and everybody involved? So it's been heavy, um, and I think it's been reflection time for a lot of us ex-players, quite frankly. I think it's been reflection time for anyone close to or associated and in the game. Uh before we dive in, just want to give a content warning to anyone watching. Uh, this subject may uh, certainly be bothersome and graphic, so uh, just want to put that out there before we get rolling. Let's put two minutes and 30 seconds on the clock, and we'll drop the puck, starting with Kyle Beach. Uh, what a profile and courage that was last night. Really difficult to watch. Um, Kyle Beach coming forward as the former Chicago Blackhawks player who was sexually assaulted by then video coach Brad Aldrich in 2010. Uh, it was a 27 minute interview in which he revealed himself as John Doe uh, from the court filings and from the report to be able to step forward and put his name on this, to come out in public, to discuss everything that he's feeling, the emotions, everything that's been bottled up for the last 11 years had to be cathartic for him. Um, really difficult for all of the rest of us to watch, Mike. I think we're all better off having seen it. And to me, that should be mandatory appointment viewing for anyone that's associated with an NHL team in a front office, on a coaching staff that's dealing with any kind of NHL player, let alone young players that are dropped off to their door or sometimes at age 18. 
Yeah, and it extends beyond hockey. This is the way people should be listened to across the world. And you look at what Kyle did to be able to step forward and, and talk so openly. That's so difficult to do. But the gravity of having a face and having the words come directly out of his mouth about what happened, it makes such a difference than seeing things in print and in writing, Frank. And when you can put the human side to it and see the just the the revolt and the emotion and the and the hurt and the anger and everything that comes along with it, it makes it that much more powerful. Uh, and we, it's easy to lose that, you know, in today's world with social media, flipping comments left and right about things. When you actually see the face of Kyle Beach and what he's been through and how this was bottled down and suppressed for the better part of a decade to be at this point, uh, it says a lot about him, but it says a lot about the work that needs to be done to improve our culture. Yeah, well said. I mean, this there's so many things to chew on from the 26-minute interview with TSN's Rick Westhead, which was really well done. But one of them that stands out to me is, is just sort of how vilified Kyle Beach has been by the Blackhawks organization. Uh, they've tried to, um, you know, basically make him out to be a liar. Uh, yeah. They, you know, saying that, what he felt and, and what he experienced, uh, they, they tried to cast doubt on it and, and shadows on it, uh, saying that there was nothing here. And so to see that part of it come out um, and then to see the Blackhawks issue a statement in response, commending Kyle Beach for coming forward, but then also pointing the finger again, uh, saying then executives, trying to point blame at, at President and CEO John McDonough it's it's too much. It, it's it's yep. difficult to take, and and that brings us to the other part of Mike. What Kyle Beach said, which he he let some more light in and shined a light on Joel Quenville, then head coach of the Chicago Blackhawks, now with the Florida Panthers, who he, he said that he let members of the Blackhawks staff know, and then saw that there were immediate meetings that took place. In his opinion in his recollection in Joel Quenville's office. That makes it sound like it's even more damning than what's in the report that the Blackhawks had a meeting on May 23rd before advancing, uh, after advancing, I should say, to the Stanley Cup final, which puts even more heat on Joel Quenville. What we've learned in the last 36 hours, to me, it's beyond, you know, fathom that Joel Quenville was behind an NHL bench last night. He's meeting with NHL commissioner Gary Bettman today at 2 p.m. How was this guy able to coach? I'm surprised by it as well, especially knowing that the meeting was coming today. How does this how, how does this play between not just the NHL, but the Florida Panthers? You know, How do you not look at this situation and go, okay, even if we believe Joel Quenville is either misunderstood in this situation, or he's not being represented properly, or he's totally clear of everything, even if we believe that, why are we putting him up on the stage to coach a game and then trotting him out of the building as soon as possible without any media availability? That just gives a damning light to it. I don't like how that played. I don't like the messaging of it. I think it makes, frankly, it looks, makes Joe Quenville look bad, even worse because he wasn't put up on stage, you know? And, and I think that, how can you not take him out of that game? Is it really that important for him to be behind the bench when all of this is going around and these fingers are being pointed directly at him by the report and by by Kyle Beach very directly. These are very, very serious accusations that need to be answered. I don't know how he could have coached last night. I think this was a shortcoming by by the league and really, frankly, by the, the Florida Panthers to let him do so last night. 
Yeah, and to your point, even if he is in the clear, the league believes he's in the clear, the optics of it. The NHL had an incredible opportunity here to step forward, make a statement. Even if it's suspended pending that conversation, pending hearing, we see it with players all the time, suspended pending hearing. Well, why doesn't the same apply to an NHL coach in this situation? The NHL seems to always be two to three steps behind and tripping all over themselves at every single turn when it comes to just simply doing the right thing. This isn't complicated. And, you know, I want to make one little point here. And and the focus should be on the Blackhawks executives that covered up this sexual assault. Period. Full stop. End of story. But I also think that in this palace intrigue that's captured everyone's attention, there, there hasn't been enough talk, at least about Brad Aldrich, in my opinion, who's the reason all of this happened. This is the predator. And I, I feel I'm not taking anything away from Joel Quenville. I just felt like that point should be made at some point during this conversation today. Brad Aldrich is the serial sexual predator who assaulted uh, Kyle Beach, who assaulted a Blackhawks intern, then went and did it on high school kids and was convicted of a crime later in, in the state of Michigan. I, there hasn't been enough talk about you know, Brad Aldrich here, and we'll get to that later and, and some other potential repercussions coming his way. But geez, like all of this is, is so difficult. And I know we're out of time and off topic, but that's, uh, it, it's, it's amazing to see what's happened this week. It is, and it isn't, because I still feel like, again, like we we helped create this culture of silence in hockey. And that's why on a personal level, not even being attached to this, there's there's guilt there, you know? It's like, we've all gone along with this to the extent that we get so goal-focused. And, and you you heard it in yesterday's availabilities that everybody, we were so worried about winning the Stanley Cup, nothing else, nothing else mattered. You know, it was just blinders on everything. And we've got to be better than that. And it's terrible that it takes instances like this to make us wake up. And yeah, we're 11 years down the road, but it's just a constant reminder that we have to be better as individuals and we can't remain so goal focused that we forget we're human beings, Frank. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of the other names mentioned in the report in a small way was Donald Fear, the NHLPA executive director. Um, In the report, it was mentioned that uh, he had some knowledge of, Uh, this sexual assault and the timeline is a little bit murky in the sense that it's not all quite clearly spelled out. Um, But at least Kyle Beach shed more light on that situation as well with really pointed remarks at the end of his conversation with Rick Westhead yesterday. Take a listen. I know I reported every single detail to an individual at the NHLPA who I was put in contact with after I believe two different people talked to Don Fear. And for him to turn his back on the players when his one job is to protect the players at all costs, I don't know how that can be your leader. So Don Fear under fire here, Mike. Uh, he issued a statement from the NHLPA overnight on Wednesday night, and it reads like this. Kyle Beach has been through a horrific experience and has shown true courage in telling his story. There is no doubt that the system failed to support him in his time of need, and we are part of that system. He goes in part to continue on to uh, explain part of the background and the situation, and he says, 
this is the key part of it. The grave nature of this incident should have resulted in further action on our part. The fact that it did not was a serious failure. I am truly sorry, and I am committed to making changes to ensure it does not happen again. So that was the statement from Don Fear overnight. What caught my eye is that he was one of the few people to actually apologize in a statement, which I think uh, is proper in this circumstance. Is it enough? What kind of fallout will come from this? And ultimately, he's in a different box, so to speak, because he's not under the purview and jurisdiction of the NHL. He, his, his status and whatever you know, comes of this is, comes as a result of the players and their power here. Yeah, well, the players employ Donald, Donald Fear. Simple as that. And it's going to be on their executive to decide if this is something he needs to be punished for, if he needs to be relieved of duties. And Kyle Beach made it pretty clear. I don't know how you can let someone like that lead you. Uh, those are as pointed comments as you can possibly get. What I see out of this and from a personal side of things is wondering, you know, there was a pervasive thought that the NHLPA wouldn't help players that weren't their players. Like Kyle Beach was not an NHLPA member. And so that mentality is what has to change and I hope has changed within. But the players have to decide. And I think the players need to have a real conversation, not just one with Don Fear and knowing everything that happened. They need to know the exact timeline, who was referenced, all of that. They need to start their own investigation into this. I, I think that transparency is so important in today's world and especially for players so they know who exactly is leading them. And from Don on down, you know, you need to know who your who your regional rep is, what they're doing, how they're willing to help you, regardless of your status, whether you're a superstar, whether you're the lowest on the totem pole, or even if you're a black ace, if it revolves to an NHL team, players deserve help. Do you think something will come of it? I don't. My gut feeling is I don't. And I just think that there's so many warring factions within the NHLPA and the players at all times that coming to a consensus on something like this uh, just never seems to happen. So sadly, I don't, I don't know, but I think they need to get to the bottom of exactly what was known when with an investigation, and then they make the decision. Yeah, we'll see if there ends up being an inquiry from the NHLPA's executive board who would be in charge on this matter. But I think you mentioned, Mike, off the top, the idea of soul searching that needs to come. And I think that's the big question. As the NHL, the hockey world uh, continues to soul search in, in light of this report and the findings that were released earlier this week, what's next? Because the NHL issued a memo to all 32 clubs on Wednesday that basically the gist of it was, if you see something, you better say something and, and sort of helped clearer outline, you know, what constitutes, what should be reported and how. And I, while I think it's an important reminder, you know, as I said off the top, I think the, the Kyle Beach interview, every person should have to watch in training uh, to understand what to say, what not to say, how to treat someone with empathy, how to properly report uh, something that comes up and is brought to your attention. So do you get the sense that other teams now are at the point where they're also going back and thinking, hey, you know, this, you know, there's something that happened a few years back that I'm not entirely comfortable with, and I'm wondering if this should come up now. Are people in the hockey world essentially checking their closets at this point? Is that, what, is that what's going on this week, you think? I think we've been on guard in hockey ever since really dating back to Akeem Alou, especially, and thinking about Bill Peters and the day of reckoning that seemed to come at first and coaches worried about how they've spoken to players publicly. I think right now there's a lot of nervous people in hockey all over again when it seemed like 
it had gotten past that first wave because our culture had always been so brash, so confrontational between coaches, management, so like closed doors. You know, you never had a chance to just walk in and openly speak freely because you were so afraid of your employer, your ice time. But that's what leads to these situations. So absolutely, I think there's there's organizations around the league that are nervous. And I think that I'm not sure if what else may or may not come out with this, but I think there's teams that are definitely considering at this point stuff that they've known in the past that maybe they kept under wraps. Maybe they're reaching out to players. Maybe they're trying to fix things behind the scenes. I don't know the answers to that, but I guarantee that there's skeletons and closets now that people are freaked out about, man. Like this is, this is real life. Like you're, you're held accountable for things, whether it's 10 years later or not. And look at the ramifications when this all came down with the Blackhawks, everybody in hockey looked at each other right away from these allegations. And we all said, I don't know how Stan Bowman and Al McIsaac keep their jobs. And that's what played out. And if, unless teams get ahead of this type of stuff, which it's too late at this point, they don't have any chance of saving themselves. That's, that's what I feel, Frank. Do you feel differently? No, I, I think there's a lot of self-examination, a lot of internal club examination. And I think, you know, anyone who's out there that's nervous, you should only be nervous if you have a reason to be. So if there are a lot of nervous people out there, well, then that means that there are probably a lot of things that happened that probably shouldn't have. And, um, I'd imagine that at a certain point that day of reckoning will come and that it will all come out. It doesn't, uh, I think this incident is just another reminder that, you know, what happened in the past doesn't stay in the past. The old hockey adage, what happens in the room stays in the room. Like it's somehow Vegas or something that doesn't fly anymore. And so I think an important reminder for everyone else, Mike, um, really important topic, but let's change gears. Let's talk about a little hockey and, and your specialty. Let's take a trip to the blue paint. Mike, another edition of the Blue Paint. It feels odd and, and difficult actually even transitioning to talk about hockey given what we've been through this week. But I did want to shed a little light on your expertise uh, and some interesting trends from some goaltenders that we're seeing to start this season. Really interesting. Lots of question marks around a few guys as the game of musical chairs surfaced again. And Freddie Anderson ends up in Carolina. I was wondering, obviously a talented goaltender, but can he be healthy and can he stay on the ice? And what will that look like once he's finally in net for the Carolina Hurricanes? It's looked look very good so far this season. He's 5-0. and And Freddie Anderson just looks rejuvenated. Last year with the Toronto Maple Leafs, he had injuries. He was out of the lineup. He never seemed to find his rhythm when he came back in. And you wonder about how much the physical struggle that you have plays off mentally as well. You know, you have to be healthy both ways. And in a market like Toronto, if you're not able to play at 100%, you can't hide your deficiencies on a team that, you know, wasn't great defensively at all times last year. It didn't help Freddie Anderson. The previous year before, I looked at a blip on the radar. I still think Freddie Anderson is an excellent goaltender in the National Hockey League. He's showing it now. He's been one of the most consistent, statistically speaking, goaltenders in the NHL. I mean, he's been hovering just under a 920 for the better part, almost a decade at this point. The biggest difference I see this year, though, Frank, is that Freddie Anderson is crushing it in the high danger chances. Last year, he was pretty low on the list. This year, he's making a saves rate. You know, Last year, he was making 64% of those saves. Now he's saving over 70, almost 75% of high danger chances. That's what's propelling his team. I had Carolina as 14 in my preseason rankings of goalie tandems. Well, Freddie Anderson's played every minute so far, but I had them ahead of the Toronto Maple Leafs at 19, and I had people come at me for it. Well, 
It's making my bet look pretty good on it, Frank. Freddie Anderson's on top of his game. Yeah, and you mentioned the high danger save percentage. That's been the one thing that Rachel Dowery pointed out yesterday in Number Crunch, that that's been one of the trends that's tied all of these undefeated teams together. They've been getting high danger save percentage numbers in the 87-88% range. Most teams would take 75-77%. Uh, Freddie Anderson right in that range as well. And certainly that's helped those teams get off to uh, great starts, including Carolina, Florida, uh, St. Louis, and some of these other teams that have been unbelievable. But what, Mike, about Bob? You know, I Mm. did not see this coming, admittedly, with Sergei Bobrovsky. I thought at some point, yes, they were going to try and give him a run to start the $10 million man, but that eventually this net would become Spencer Knights, both guys without a blemish to start the year. Bob's not giving it up. What about Bob? You know, memories of Bill Murray here. But, uh, you know, I I ranked the Florida Panthers seventh on my list of tandem goaltenders. Him and Spencer Knight, I thought, were going to be a dynamic duo. And they have been so far. But there's motivation at play here. Bob knew he had to get it together or else Spencer Knight was coming and he was going to take that crease. And according to moneypuck.com, Bobrovsky's done everything he can so far this year. His goals save above expected. He's leading the entire NHL. And look at the tale of two seasons here. Last year's goals against was 291. He's at a 179 now. Save percentage is through the roof. What I think that's going so well for Bob is that he's more patient on his edges. He's not chasing the puck as much. He's not down early. He'd done that the last couple of years. He'd gotten on his post. He's slinking down, playing small. He's getting beat laterally often. Florida's done a better job of limiting those opportunities. But when he is seeing those shots from clean areas, he's making the saves and he's doing it again in high danger areas, much like Anderson was. I'm really bullish on Bob right now. He works so hard. And I think that goalie department, the coaching from uh, from Rob Tallis to, to Roberto Luongo to Francois Allaire is really paying dividends, dividends there for the Panthers. Yeah, the goaltending uh, department of excellence. Well, that's certainly... Uh, been excellent so far to start the year for the Panthers. A little bit of a change of pace, excuse me, <clears throat> from the first two guys, Freddie Anderson and Sergei Bobrovsky. Ilya Sorokin, there haven't been any question marks about his game since he arrived on Long Island. But the question for me was, could he sustain what he showed in his rookie season? 22 games played, actually, I guess still counts as a rookie. But the sample size was small. And so everyone's saying, can he sustain that type of success? And so far, the answer this season appears to be yes. Uh, and it actually started off slowly for Sorokin. He allowed five goals in his first two games of the year. Uh, and in the four games since, he's allowed four goals total. So uh, the team's cleaned things up a little bit in front of him in Long Island, and his numbers play that out. Two consecutive shutouts uh, against Vegas and another team as well that he's played really strong in those games. But I look at Sorokin and I think about that progression of coming over to North America. You've got to learn to deal with a different speed of the game. He's learned to manage traffic, and that's been a big one. Played a little bit further out of his crease when he first came across the pond. Now he's a little deeper. He's finding lanes. He's finding windows through traffic. You watch his out the way he played against the Golden Knights uh, just the other evening. He was able to get his eyes on pucks that early uh, in his transition over to here. I'm not sure he would have found. And a big thing for Sorokin is that he learned English. So. He's become an easier goaltender to coach in that way because the feedback can go back and forth throughout an organization. And I really think that this is a guy who can sustain it and even take it to another level. He's one of the best goalie skaters out there. And again, with that team in front of him with the Islanders, uh, I love what Sorokin's done so far. And he's going to get a little bit of support too. Varlamov will be back soon from what we can tell. This was my number one ranked tandem 
in the NHL. And if Varlamov comes back and he continues to play at the ability that he can, it's a team to worry about. Look at you puffing your chest out about the number one ranked tandem and them looking good, including. Sorokin I love it when they make start. me look good, man. I do. Hey, not, I mean, I everyone does. So, um, yeah. yeah, it'll be interesting to watch for the Isles just about surviving this road trip. Mike, thanks for your insight. That's another edition of The Blue Paint. Time for our dailyfaceoff.com inbox question. You can hit us up on Twitter, hashtag AskDFO. We'd be happy to answer your question. Today, it's a pretty simple one. What happens to the Stanley Cup engraving from the Chicago Blackhawks 09-10 team? For me, the answer is simple. You strike Brad Aldrich's name from it. I think that should be done in short order. These are allegations that are no longer allegations. They've been proven 139 different witness statements and all of that reporting that was done by the Jenner and Block law firm in Chicago. Pretty simple decision. I guess the question, Mike, for me is, does it extend any further than that for you? I'm struggling with this and I don't have a great answer because I, I feel like the level of cover up and the people that pass the buck on this, you know, ultimately it comes down to leadership and everybody else seemed to put it right on McDonough's shoulders. And I, and I don't know if that's just him. I don't know if it should go deeper than that, but Aldrich hundred percent should be off yesterday. We all realize that. And I'm struggling beyond that because even though the right thing wasn't done, they the people involved in management weren't the ones who committed the what would have been a crime and i'm struggling with it myself because i don't know the proper answer for this uh i just think that you're going to look at that entire season that entire stanley cup listing of people and think man there's something ugly that happened here and it's hard for me frank because i don't think i have the right answer for that i think that within the team and and really kyle beach might be the person who can can direct this because it was his life that was ultimately changed by it all and and everybody else surrounding it. Yeah, you know, it's a it's a hard question to answer. I, I think the other part that I grapple with is this happened on May 23rd and the season ended June 9th. There was a lot of work that went into even getting to that point. Um, and, and that doesn't excuse at all what happened to Kyle Beach, heinous, despicable, stomach churning, all those things, including the way the Blackhawks acted after the fact. But there was a lot of work that went into that season and winning that Stanley Cup before that incident even happened. So it's hard for me to sort of cross other people off and their contribution to winning. And, and what about the other players on the team that may or may not have known? Correct. Other executives. It's a slippery slope to go down. I think Brad Aldrich is a pretty easy guy to single out and strike his name from the cup. And to your point, uh, should have been done yesterday. We'll see how the Hockey Hall of Fame uh, keepers of the cup respond to that. So let's get to our daily face-off best bets of the day. Tyler Uremchuk, one man, extremely hot. Uh, no, Frank, I went 0-2 last night. So thanks for uh, thanks for the gentle reminder on that one. I got a little too cute with uh, with my in-regulation bets. But tonight, uh, also shout out to our friends at PointsBet. Stay sharp. I'm looking to stay sharp here tonight. I love making money off the Arizona Coyotes, and that is where I am going for my first play of the night. I'll be honest, I didn't know who Ivan Provetsov was until about half an hour ago. Turns out he's actually played a handful of games for the Arizona Coyotes, but his numbers aren't very good. Um, he's going to get the start tonight. The Lightning are coming off a game where, you know, they were kind of embarrassed a little bit by the Buffalo Sabres losing 5-1. to one. 
I like Tampa Bay to bounce back on home ice tonight. Again, minus 320 on the money line. That's not worth a bet, but I think the puck line is. So I'm taking Lightning minus a goal and a half, paying out minus 125. My second play of the night is out in Vancouver, where the Flyers are playing on the second of back-to-backs, taking on the Canucks, and I'm actually going with the over in this game. Philly is second in the NHL in goals four per game. Also, their games have seen an average number of 7.6. So they've been hitting the over pretty consistently. And while Vancouver maybe hasn't been hitting the over consistently, Martin Jones is in net for Philly. No, not Carter Hart. So I like Vancouver's chances of scoring some goals there. Also, Philly's been giving up the third most shot attempts per 60 at five on five in the NHL. So I think Vancouver will be able to generate some offense and Philly has had no problem scoring either. So I like the over six goals in this game, paying minus 125, courtesy of our friends over at PointsBet and Tampa minus one and a half is, uh, is the other play tonight. So I'm looking to get back in the wing column, Frank. Yeah, look, I, I love to grind you, Tyler. In this case, that was an honest mistake. I know the run you had been on before. My head's been buried in this story and all that's been going on. It's To Mike's point, it's been heavy not just for uh, the people that have been involved in the situation. It's also been heavy on the people thinking, talking, writing, reporting on it. Um, so that's been, uh, been interesting. So I apologize for that. Uh, an unwarranted chirp today, in my opinion. So I take the blame on that. Uh, let's get to a little garbage time with Mike. Mike. You know, dealing and sifting through all of this as you have as well as a former player, as now a media member, what's what's caught your eye? Well, as much negative as we've had to talk about uh, in the last, however, 36, 48 hours in the last months, I do think that there's some positive that we need to think about within hockey and that I do think the culture has changed much so much more so for the better. And I can think back to early in my career when you'd walk in the locker room and you'd hear homophobic slurs left and right in the room on the ice, blatant racism, you name it. These things happened. I started in 2005 and I heard these things clear through the middle point of my career, probably later. And I tell you what, everybody had to be better about it. And I think a lot of this came from in March 4th, 2012, the You Can Play project was launched. Patrick Burke, Brian Kitts, Glenn Whitman, they came up with this idea that, hey, hockey's for everyone, eradication of homophobia. But I think that really this mission that the You Can Play project has had has resonated beyond the LGBTQ community. And it's really become a rallying cry within locker rooms while I was there to clean it up, like get it together, guys. And it made everybody look inward. You know, people that are using words that they don't realize have a huge amount of hurt to them. It started to go away. And I mean, I can remember in 2015 saying there's words you can use, guys, that you'd get a penalty for that. But it was still okay to use these homophobic words for whatever reason. Well, that's that's a change now. You say something like that, you're going right to the box. You say anything racist, homophobic, you name it. And that filters through to who you are as an individual and a person because it makes you realize that words have meaning, that actions have meaning. And we needed to be better. And so I think that everything that the You Can Play project started in 2012, even though it was aimed at, at a kind of a, a smaller community within a community, I think it resonated much larger within the hockey community. So hats off, I think, to Patrick Burke, Brian Kitts, Glenn Whitman on really changing the di dialogue, starting the dialogue within rooms, making it more accepting, making us realize as hockey players that it's a greater mission than just the Stanley Cup, that... We have the ability to change lives in a positive way, to be inclusive. I do think that hockey's in a different place in 2021 than it was in 2010,
but it's taken tireless work to get to that point and we still have a ways to go. Yeah, well said, Mike. I mean, progress has been made, but I think this week is a reminder of how far the NHL and the hockey world has to go. Um, it's one thing for the Chicago Blackhawks to say in their prepared statement that they think that Stan Bowman, with all of this experience, would have handled this incident had it occurred in 2021 differently. But we still don't have any proof of that yet. And I think there's a lot of questions remaining in terms of how this league operates uh, quite clearly with how they've handled uh, Joel Quenville and everything else that's popped up. His meeting today, 2 p.m. with Gary Bettman in New York. We'll see what comes of that, and we'll keep you apprised of all that and the latest from around the NHL on DailyBaseOff.com. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks a lot for joining us. On behalf of Mike McKenna, keep it locked on DailyFaceoff.com for all the latest news, insight, and analysis around the NHL. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Thanks for watching the Daily Faceoff Show. Make sure you hit subscribe on our YouTube channel to never miss an episode. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special coming your way this playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. And let me tell you, it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal. Every playoff game day, you're going to be faced with four questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle. And here's a sneak peek into some of those questions we'll be firing your way. First up, you got to pick the winning team. That sounds simple, right? But there's more. You got to decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under a certain amount. And that's where the real strategy starts to kick in. Next up, you're picking who's going to find the back of the net first. And you're going to want to be careful because that's one that could be cooked early on in the game. And finally, you got to predict which period is going to be the highest scoring. Will it be a barn burner in the first, a shootout in the second, or a nail biter in the third? That's up to you to decide. Now let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? For the daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards to treat yourself to some fresh nation gear, and you might even win a jersey from your favorite team. And for the big dogs, those who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. Play now at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess.